It's Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. This is our weekly show where we take, uh, we get a group together of the East End's award-winning journalists and do a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the website 27East.com. My co-host is Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. Great panel this week. We have Denise Civiletti, who's the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Uh, Joe Workmeister, who's the editor of the Times Review Media Group. Hey, Joe. Hey, good morning. Good to have you here. Brian, uh, from right here at WLIWFM, Brian Cosgrove, who's uh, one of the featured hosts of, you host the Afternoon Ramble, which also encompasses Paper Talk, which some of us appear on from time to time, and we appreciate that. Good work, Brian. Good morning, Joe. I just, if I could just quickly mention that today is the first day of our spring fund drive and folks can go to WLIWFM.org or they can call 800-262-0717 and every contribution will be doubled. We've got a matching grant from our chairman. So please make a contribution. This show uh, is uh, one of the great reasons to make a contribution. That's I appreciate awesome. that. And yeah, we want to throw in a good word too. We've always been partners with the radio station uh, since well before WLIW came on board, but we found WLIW to be just a wonderful partner for so many different projects and so many more things moving forward, uh, including you're looking at one of them right now, if you're watching cable television and, and listening on the radio, uh, this show is a big part of that. So please, you know, we all say it all the time, our local media counts on listeners and readers uh, and and web visitors to support us financially. We've got to stay in business. So uh, it's a good cause. WLIW is is certainly, I, I'm a, I'm a uh, what do they call it, Brian? I'm a sustaining. You're a sustaining, sustaining member. member. That's what you can sign up for a, li- a little bit a month. It's an easy way to go. I pay for Hulu. Yeah. I pay I pay for Hulu. I pay for Netflix. I pay for WLIW. It's it's what I, you know, I think it's important to do that. So Thanks. All right. So on on to the on to the headlines. And hey, let's dive in, uh, Joe, (laughs) to uh, the story you guys have this week, which is is pretty amazing. So I'm not even I'm any story that has the phrase Southern Plantation vibe in it. (laughs) I'm going to let you tell the story first before before we we discuss it, Um, please. Yeah, well, yeah. So this started. a week ago, I guess, uh, when uh, students at the Southfield School District uh, found out what their uh, theme was going to be for their junior prom, which, you know, typically, you know, you would be uh, nothing too newsworthy there. Right. But um, so what they found out was it was going to be it was called a Southern Soiree. And um, so what happened was there was a little bit of confusion there, I guess, where some students weren't sure if it was going to be more of a formal event as you know, maybe it typically would be. Uh, kind of, you know, dressed up and, or should, or if it was going to be more of like, uh, you know, cowboy type theme, you know, uh, maybe a little less formal and, um, and in trying to clarify a little bit on the staff members who heads the prom committee, um, sent out an email, uh, a sort of, I guess, pretty regrettable email where, as you said, that phrase um, referred, trying to explain what the theme was going to be, used the phrase, um, uh, describing the venue where it's going to be in Mattatuck is having this quote Southern plantation vibe and compared it to a, um, a cotillion 
which is um, you know these like balls where uh, you know the young southern people would, would um, um, kind of are growing up and have this big event kind of thing coming out and, um, they, they, right yeah yeah and um, so by seeing that phrase and um, you know it sparked a pretty big backlash among students um, you know who didn't uh, take so kindly to this um, idea of being you know their junior prom being compared to this era of uh, you know plantations and slavery and, and the racism that all encompasses everything that you think of when you hear that sort of phrasing. And, um, you know, maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, maybe it just kind of rolls over and people kind of just shrug their shoulders and, you know, move on and, and nothing comes of it. But, you know, we're in a different era now and kids are, uh, you know, going to speak out and stand up for, you know, I think, you know, what they, um, what they believe in and are, yeah, that didn't sit right. And some students started complaining and, uh, you know, kind of quickly spread and uh, on on some social media accounts and, you know, some students in some other neighboring districts uh, heard about it as, you know, their friends were complaining to them. And uh, I was actually a student in the Greenport district um, uh, nearby that started a petition to try to, you know, get it changed. And um, uh, this all kind of unfolded over over a couple of days and, and where it kind of took a a little bit of a turn is where um, you know some the administrators got some students together and, and sort of uh, I guess sort of threatened that um, they could face uh, some disciplinary disciplinary action for kind of making a big deal out of this on social media and um, the students yeah, at Greenport had made um, some memes you know um, that he was going to you know, kind of share and post and some of these students were going to post so I think that's kind of where. Um, where some of the concern came from the school district where they had these memes kind of depicted in the district as this racist institution. Um, and from, I think from their perspective, they were saying you know, that, you know, you're, you're being a little unfair into what, you know, you're trying to cast our entire district as. And um, so, so there's kind of actually, snowballed there's from a, there. So there's a couple of things to, to break down there. I think we've got a couple of different topics uh, to, to address. And so the first one is the theme itself. Um, so in 2022, uh, so is this, is this a situation of, is it just cluelessness? Is it, is it something worse? Is it just us being too sensitive? Uh, what, what do we think guys? Uh, I, I think I think Southern soiree probably wasn't all that bad. But when you put the word plantation into that explainer email, it just evokes these these images of these old Southern plantations with, you know, with with slaves serving the, you know, the rich white folks and and all that. And and I don't think it was malicious at all anywhere, but certainly not not well thought out and 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 um it's just a, a a goof there. What what amazes me more though is is just the district then, rather than <clears throat> falling on its sword and saying, you know, this was this was a bad idea, not well thought out, whatever. But but then you know, trying to punish these students for for speaking out against you know what what is obviously an egregious mistake. And some of the students we talked to, sorry, real quick, um, you know, they did say that, you know, they don't necessarily think that the intent there was, you know, 
you know, kind of a, a malicious, you know, um, you know, from the from the advisor who sent out that um, email. But you know, again, it, you know, words matter, and and or choice of words. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and there's a lot of that going around. Um, I, you know, some of this was prompted by the setting, right, Joe? I mean, the the setting for the event itself is is sort of a sort of a formal place and i think they were when they were saying they were going for something more like a like a cotillion um as you, you know that that seems clear i think i think anytime you get the word plantation involved yeah uh you're just opening up a whole can of worms i think right it was it was it's scheduled to be at uh it's called the royalton farm which is a, a pretty big estate and equestrian center in mattatuck so uh you know it you know has um, you know, that outdoor kind of, you know, vibe maybe has a little bit of a, you know, kind of a Southern look to it, I guess, but, you know, with the equestrian and whatnot, but, um, yeah, just kind of, uh, as I said, poor, poor choice of words where everything kind of, uh, quickly, quickly spiraled. So Denise, we were talking a little bit before we got started here about, uh, the, the, the school threatening to punish students for social media posts. Um, and we were debating whether that's, I, I, I'm not, you know, we, we're a little unclear about uh, the, the law as far as that goes. I, I, ju I just actually looked up that case from last year, the cheerleader case that we were talking about before. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they, the, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court actually ruled in favor of uh, the students' First Amendment rights to express herself on social media because, um, just to back up a little, like, I feel like, you know, as someone in your article um, in the Suffolk Times, Joe, said, um, you know, this was extremely tone deaf, if nothing else, like malicious or not, it was extremely tone deaf. I mean, you know, Southern plantations were the heart of the Southern slave based economy, you know, and that should never that shouldn't be forgotten. It's not something that should be idealized. Right. Um, and um, you know, instead of, um, you know, taking advantage of what could be a teaching moment here this, in this district and, and acknowledging that, and that's what the error was. Um, and, you know, maybe talking about that and talking to their staff about that or whatever. I mean, that, you know, the, the, the administration, as you reported, um, but threatened students for posting on social media about it. And, and Double, said, du doubling down on the mistake, I would, I yeah, would, I would I, argue. You, you quoted right. somebody saying that it was, you know, they were threatened with suspension or worse. Well, yeah. I mean, so that brings us to the question of, well, you know, do, do they have a right to express themselves on social media? I mean, the, the district has a right to say, well, we don't think this was what you are portraying it as. And we don't like how you're, but can the district say, we're going to suspend you from school for criticizing this administration and slandering the school? They've used words like that, right, Joe? I mean, I think that's what I just read. Um, and so that, you know, goes to the heart of, you know, the First Amendment and free speech, you know, and I, and to say students don't, have, I mean, that's just not the case that students don't have free speech. There are things that, um, administrations can do to uh, restrict speech and curtail it on school grounds. And, but I, you know, I, I think I want, I would want, want to look at that case again about, you know, the cheerleader who used the string of curse words to criticize her school. Um, but, you know, the court 
upheld that student's right to do that. So, right. I mean, I think they might be compounding their, their errors here by taking any kind of action against students, which you reported uh, in the Suffolk Times that that hasn't yet happened, I think, right? Or they yeah, said I mean, as, you know, we, you know in, in an interview in the principal after this kind of uh, unfolded, you know, he did say that no no one was going to face uh, a suspension and, and, you know, kind of backed off that. And as you, I guess sort of would expect is, you know, kind of, got more into the public light, uh, but. Um, which which is which is think. which is why the job we do is so important when we start asking questions and they go, oh, no, we didn't mean that. Um, you right. know, then, then I think, it, you know, it just it just amplifies the importance of, of you know, the, the, the press and, and the ability to watchdog and ask questions and say, what are you guys thinking? You know, I got to think there was a teaching slash learning moment here that was missed. Um, was missed and and actually i think by as you say i think reacting defensively um you know it 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 just taught a different lesson which i don't think they intended and i think maybe there's some lessons to be learned by the school district there brian i i, I you know i want to broaden you know and, and just for sake of debate let me take a, a different stance and introduce the word that i think a lot of our listeners are probably uttering as we as we are as we're talking, and that's woke. That there is a segment of our population out there that's going to say this is just another overreaction to a mistake, and people are hypersensitive, and 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 you know we need to talk this through. I think because that seems to be the 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 way a lot of people dismiss incidents like this that are genuinely harmful to people and in this case you know genuinely harmful to to some of the junior high students but I, i'm not sure how we get past the idea that that these things do matter i mean words matter and and the choices that adults make especially in a case like this um it's not just about political correctness it's just it's just a bad it sends a bad message to the students yeah i would i would agree if somebody is um, if somebody is offended, and I could see why they would be offended, and, and you guys all hit on the plantation thing, and you know, evoking gone with the wind really doesn't do it for me either. I mean, that kind of annoys me that they would, you know, that's what it evokes when I hear plantation and gone with the wind. Uh, it doesn't age well. I mean, it's a great movie, but it doesn't age well with what you know goes on. And I think you're right, Joe. I mean, yeah, you can call it woke, you can call it sensitive, but if we if the people who are offended and the people who um, uh, and uh, and um, I like the uh, idea that there was a tone deaf type of situation, it wasn't malicious. But if people are offended, they got to speak up. They have to speak up. And things aren't black and white. Things aren't black and white. And if you want to talk about something and somebody wants to shut you down just by saying you're oversensitive or we saw it with, you know, some folks who uh, support the last administration, you know, they would say F your feelings, you know, like that. And, you know, it's you can't do that. You know, you, you got to. Oh, I'm sorry. I think no, okay. if, you're, if, if you're if you're if you're if you're truly offended about something, you know, whether you, to stand in judgment of it for someone else, you can't do that because you don't know what it's like to be that person, whether, you know, it's a racial thing or whether it's the way they were brought up or whatever it is, you know, it's, it's really passing judgment. I think when you, when you make it that black and white. Go ahead, Denise. 
No, I, I agree. And I, I think that it's also really important to look at this in the context of our times right now. You know, we are living through an age where um, schools and, and politicians are looking to rewrite history. You know, hmm. I mean, that's what this whole critical race theory uproar really is all about as far as I'm concerned. It's, you know, people looking to say that those things didn't really happen. And that if you're trying to, if you want to teach our kids about, you know, the horrors of slavery, the horrors of, you know, racial oppression, um, you're, you're the bad guy. Like mm. you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And states all across the country are passing laws um, to make that illegal. And yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we're living in a time right now when, that's going on. And this tone deaf, he didn't mean anything or she didn't mean anything by it. I mean, you know, I don't know. Is that rooted in the desire to kind of erase the significance of a Southern plantation at, in, in our history? Uh, yeah. You know, I don't I don't know. But it's, to me, it seems dangerous to and if you can't, write if it you off. Can't, right. Down in, down in Florida now, you can't say gay in schools. You know, or they're going to try to, you know, DeSantis is going to sign that supposedly if he didn't already. This is what, what Denise is getting at. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't you, we can't go about it like this. I mean, there's context. There, there's a common theme, though, that I think is reassuring. And that is that the people who are sort of on the wrong side of this tend to be the adults and the people who are on the right side of it almost always tend to be the young people. I yeah. feel like. I feel like young people kind of have this figured out for us. And in 10, 10 20 years, uh, they may bring about a, the, the, you know, a whole different way to look at this stuff. Just as a quick thought experiment here, guys, I'm curious. So this was announced as Southern Soiree. And there was confusion among the students about what that meant. And so it was the clarification that led to the problems. If they had come out and said, we're going for a cotillion vibe. Would that have been okay? Or would we have the same problem? Joe, what do you think? I mean, does cotillion carry that same, uh, is there a smack of racism in that? Because certainly cotillions were part of that, you know, white society for the most part, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not really up on my history of cotillions. I have to confess. I'm not sure. If yeah, well, you know, what's interesting is when, when I was in high school, our junior prom was always known as a, the cotillion. That's what it was called. And then the senior prom was, you know, the proms, the prom. And uh, thinking back to high school, I didn't really even know like what that meant or, right. uh, or why it was even called that. Uh, and I never really gave it much thought. And, and, and now I'm thinking, you know, did that really, did that not make sense? All, you know, all those years that we called it that, you know, was, it's a little more neutral. Uh, you know, I don't think it yeah. carries quite the heavy amount of uh, burden that certainly I, I, I mean, I think we can all agree that Southern plantation vibe may have been the worst choice of words that you could have possibly used to, to, to try and describe what they were going for there. But as, as the woman on the panel, let me just yes. say, so I just Googled cotillion. Yes. I mean, our junior prom theme was Stairway to Heaven. 
Just saying. <laughs> no, but I'm not much, much better. <laughs> but but when but, was your coming? When was your coming out, Denise? I mean, I'm well, sure I certainly didn't have one. I mean, you I'm had a, a kid formal from Brooklyn out, originally, right? so. I, but but yeah, I mean, so cotillion is a formal ball, especially one at which debutantes are presented. So let's put aside the awful history of you know race in America. Let's right. talk about the history of the oppression of women. I mean, you know. Debutantes being presented. I mean, I yeah. I guess that's better than you know a southern plantation vibe, but really, in, re- I, you know. in retrospect, the school might have just wanted to say semi-formal. Let's, let's right. just make it yeah. semi-formal. We're having a fancy party. I don't know. Problem I mean, solved. We wouldn't one, be one word could have done it. Yeah. Well, and they, and they came up with a very neutral theme now, Joe. Right? I mean, it's it's just going to be an evening at. And I, I forget the name of, of the Royalton. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I think that works a lot better. Might right. be too late. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> the damage is done. Well, you, know, you, you like to see them fix it and not and not stand firm behind it. But sure. You know, again, at, at the same time, I, I hope that I, I would hope that in in the schools uh, this week and, and leading up to the to the junior prom, there are similar discussions going on now um, that we're having here about, you know, about words and about what happened and, you know, and and the mistake and the misjudgment and, and, and all that. And then I hope they start to talk about freedom of speech as well. Well, this all happened in a, go ahead, Joe, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, this all happened in a district, you know, Madison, it's predominantly a white district. You know, there's, you know, not a large population of, of, of black students. So you think about those few students who are black and, you know, what is that like to have to, you know, see something like this and, you know, maybe you're already feeling a little bit on the outside of uh, things. And then, you know, what, what, what does that, you know, do to see something like that and, and think, you know, what is my place here? Do I fit in? Do I belong? And I would argue, too, that, that in a mostly white school district, that almost makes it worse because the, the idea being that, well, it's OK here because there aren't yeah. as many black kids is the worst way to look at it. So, uh, Denise, you had a final thought? I just, I, I just wanted to say good, good for those students for speaking out and um, utilizing the tools available to them, including social media, which I'm always inclined to rant and lament about the how evil it is. But, um, you know, they, this gave them actually a venue that they wouldn't have had not too long ago, really. And and then also using like a more traditional, although it was probably online, but a more traditional means of, you know, petitioning to, uh, yeah. pro- to protest something. I mean, that says a lot. And and I just want to say, you know, good, good for them. Hats off to them for doing that. That was actually going to be my final statement as well, that I feel right. like that's the takeaway here. It's something something positive. The kids really stood up for what they believe in. And it brought about a change and good for Southwold for in the end landing in the right place. Uh, it feels like I said, and like a learning experience. Hopefully we, we learned something here. Maybe we can apply it going forward. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Uh, our panel today is Denise Civiletti from uh, Riverhead Local, Joe Workmeister from the Times Review Media Group, and Brian Cosgrove from WLIWFM. So um, we wanted to talk a little bit about bail reform. Denise, this has been uh, a pretty hot topic lately. The governor, uh, Kathy Hochul, um, has begun to address it. Tell us a little bit about where this, can you can you give us a brief overview 
of where the state went with bail reform and, and where we stand today? Uh, so yeah, I mean, to the extent that's possible, especially <laughs> for me. Um, but I mean, bail reform uh, was really part of a larger criminal justice reform package passed um, in 2020 that um, was kind of in response to um, what was going on at that time the the various protests and things over um, you know criminal justice inequality and and um, police reform and that sort of, you know that sort of thing like so that was the, the context of it and what grew out of that and what became kind of um, a, a touchstone touchstone for like you know protest among um, law enforcement. And, and uh, politicians was um, the the law that said that um, for a whole group of offenses, all misdemeanors and nonviolent felonies, um, people who are accused of those crimes, again, emphasis the, on the word accused, as you noted before, Joe, um, they uh, they should not be required to post bail to secure, accept under certain limited circumstances to secure their return to court, because that's really what bail is for. Bail is posted to secure a defendant's return to answer the charges in court. And there's, a lot, of, there's a lot of confusion about that, right? Or, or misrepresentation that, Absolutely. that people feel that bail is part of a punishment and, and that people who have not been convicted of a crime um, should should be should be secured and 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 remanded to to jail while they await you know while they await adjudication um, simply because they've been accused and they might be a threat to society. But you're right, that's not what it's about. It's about securing your return. And and, and if I may, can I jump in sure. and just make the point that I think <clears throat> advocates of this bail reform measure have made a pretty pretty strong point that, especially for folks towards the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder, you know, not being able to post bail has a spiraling effect that now suddenly you're, you're in custody, you can't get out, you can't go to work, you know, suddenly then you can't go to work, you're not getting paid, you start to have trouble making payments for your for your rent or, you know, that there, there is a downward spiral. And, and this can come for somebody who's innocent of a crime that, that you, you and, know. And, and along those same lines, it was the majority of people that were caught incarcerated, not being able to make bail were were of that socioeconomic group. People, people who who had, you know, wealthier family or parents or, or, or whatever were able to make bail. So it seemed it, it targeted people in the, the lower lower tiers economically. And the final piece to the puzzle, I think, was that most, the overwhelming number of people return for their court hearings. They, that, that uh, Denise, I think that's true, right? I mean, I, th I think that, that most people do show up for their court hearings, not, you know, of course there are exceptions, but this is, this is, a, this is a solution in search of a problem in some, some ways. Yeah. Uh, and, it's, and I feel like it's rooted in the idea that, like, if you're accused of a crime, you're guilty. Like, we know yeah. you really did it. And all this other stuff is really just, you know, procedure, but, you know, you really did it. 
And, you know, this, this incorrect notion that goes against everything about uh, that our criminal justice system is supposed to be built on that, you know, you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are the, cases there are cases where where people not convicted of a crime have spent years in jail waiting, waiting, yeah. waiting for their trial. Um, yeah. With with no recourse at, at all, with with nobody able to post bail to get them out. Um, and, I mean, years. Yeah, because the whole yes, the whole system is broken. I mean, they come mm-hmm. through the system. You know, they have, they have a legal aid attorney who's got you know a stack of files that day, and you know they go before the court, and it's adjourned, and they get sent back to the county jail, and they do that again the next week or two weeks or three weeks later. And that just goes on and on and on for a year or two. I mean, if you spend any time in local criminal court, you see what happens. And, you know, most a lot of the time, eventually people give up and plead guilty and they're sentenced to what? Time served. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Joe, you wanted to say something. I want to emphasize about non nonviolent crimes, too, is what we're talking about. Right. I mean, you talk about a lot of misdemeanor drug possession charges, um, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, You know, if you. If you get arrested for, you know, stabbing somebody to death, you, you know, you're not getting released um, to wait to await trial. You know that you're being remanded for that, which we, you know, we've seen plenty of examples of that. But you know, a large portion of why the, you know, the the people on the uh, prosecutor side and the police side that are so, um, you know, they defend this so much and are against any sort of bail reform is because it makes their job easier. As you said, when people are in jail and they can't get out. That makes it easier to coerce them into a plea, into pleading guilty. Maybe even if they didn't do it, because they need to get out of jail. So the only way they can. And 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 you know, when you're in jail and, and no way to go out, you know, are you really going to go through the entire process of a trial and try to prove your innocence with your legal aid attorney, or you're just going to take that plead guilty and get a plea plea bargain and you know, go on your merry way and just have right, that try to get back to your life. Yeah. Right. So it makes, makes it easier for, um, you know, the, the, the DAs and the prosecutors to, um, you know, put the bad guys behind bars. What's so what's governor Hochul's take on this now? What, what is, oh, so she, and, and look, I'm going to editorialize here, but I think she's succumbing a little bit to the political pressure because she's running for governor this year. And, and it seems to be, a campaign issue across the state from from all her critics and and people who are, um, you know, also also running for office. That so she's she's proposing tweaking the the 2019 bail reform to um, make more crimes bail eligible, um, including those involving weapons um, and and in a, in a in a nod to New York City, you know, crimes occurring on on a subway or a bus. Um, and judges would also be allowed to set bail for a defendant who has been charged with multiple offenses within 18 months, even if none of those individual crimes um, would, would fit the uh, bail re- requirement uh, currently. And, and so she's, she's going to be proposing something would have to be approved by the legislature. Um, but again, th- th- it seems to me she, she has come out in support of, of the original um, uh, bail reform, which was enacted when she was lieutenant governor and and has has said that, um, you know, that that she believes that it's a good thing. But she's you know, obviously these tweaks are 
are meant to kind of assuage the, uh, the, the, the critics of bail reform. Well, and the, the original time, law was already tweaked once, right? I mean, yes, it, it was. Been, yeah. and, but I would argue that even supporters <clears throat> of bail reform, and I and I actually am one of them. I really think that that the idea is a good one. I, I think the way the state enacted it deserves a second look, and we we should go back and tweak based on what we saw. And I do think one of the ideas was to remove a lot of the judicial discretion, because the notion was that judicial discretion was actually creating some of the in, in, inequities that judges were punishing people of color with bail more than than they were um, white defendants. And so we were taking some of that judicial discretion away. But I think the pendulum may have swung a little too far because there are some cases I think we've found that have come up that that I think a reasonable person would say there might be a conversation to be had that a judge should have the discretion to say, this is a person who poses a danger and, and maybe shouldn't be on the streets um, uh, you know, while we- I, while I, we I, I, I disagree completely. How does a judge make that decision if that person has not been convicted of that crime? Again, you're, you're talking about punishing that person um, for, 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 for what? For, for, for their personality? Um, I mean, well, this person may pose a threat, but that's not what bail is about. Um, if you want to reform something, reform the system so that that person can go to trial quickly. If they're guilty, be convicted um, and, and then give the judge discretion to incarcerate that person. Um, you know, that that's the reform, maybe rather than them uh, being you know out on the streets for for two years before the trial comes up and, and they can be convicted. But at, at, at that point, at the point of arraignment, you have no way of knowing if that person's guilty or not or whether they pose a threat to to society or not. I, I just yeah, did, agree with that. Denise, this is as the one person on the panel with a law degree here. Uh, this is the nature of the debate, right? I mean, I mean, this is, it is what it comes you know, down to. Speaking to both what you said and what, what Bill's response was, you know, I mean, the framework of bail as it's traditionally existed has actually allowed for a judge to make that determination based on someone, the accused person's past record and what the charges are and likelihood of not returning to court. I mean, in, in its essence, that's what bail or bond is supposed to secure. And in this great political outrage debate that we've had, that's gotten lost, you know, and the people who are like some of the politicians who are, you know, all got their nicks in a twist about their knickers and what's that expression? You know, they're all twisted up about, twisted. about, you know, it's a kind of a sexist expression. Though, I mean, we've heard this over <laughs> What are they, you know, what are they, they're misrepresenting and so what I'm, I'm, it, I'm, it is. And, I'm, and consciously, people who know better or should know better, people with law degrees, people who practice law theoretically, you know, they, they should know better. They should know what bail is really about. It's and, all about, you know, you know instilling fear in the suburban moms that are going to vote for them. Absolutely. Exactly. It's just a fear-mongering uh, campaign. And, and you know, I'm sorry, Bill, but, you know, I, I think that um, it's disgraceful, really, what how people, you know, starting with, I'm sorry, Congressman Zeldin in his campaign for governor has just harped on this over and over again. Yeah. And it's just misrepresenting. They have... They cannot present a scintilla of evidence that well, this has actually resulted in 
the crime wave that everybody I'm, that they're talking I, well, about all the time. So, so you know, I'm gonna, I think we should speak about that. I'm going to quote from our friends in, in Newsday that they point to state statistics that show that only two percent of misdemeanor defendants statewide were rearrested for a violent felony, meaning 98% weren't. And on Long Island, the numbers were lower. Only 1% were rearrested for a violent felony in Nassau County and less than 1% in Suffolk. To me, that shows that, you know, there that, you that they're on the right track here. It's it, not it like also- people it's not like people are coming in, being released on bail and going up and, and knocking off the, the neighborhood gas station because they were released on bail. Which and, is and we're what also they're propagating. Not, we're not tallying the, the impact on people's lives who end up in the system and unable to post bail. And the, the results that that has on, on, on defendants' lives, in some cases, people who are accused of fairly minor offenses too. And that's that's what I think is a part of this. But I, I have to say, Bill, this week, um, the, the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office brought up bail reform specifically in reference to a case that we had in East Hampton just uh, last week. There was a, a wild arrest, um, a wild series of arrests made after an incident at a high-end uh, retailer in East Hampton when a group of folks came in from New Jersey and clearly executed a, a plan to steal items. And they were actually caught um, after a police chase. But the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office made this about bail reform. Talk about that a little bit. He, he did in, in, a, in a press, light, lightly, in a, in a press conference on Wednesday following the um, indictment and arraignment on their indictments for um, for four out of five of the Newark residents um, charged with the the snatch and, and grab robbery um, at the I'm, I'm going to butcher the name the uh, Balenciaga Balenciaga see I don't shop there I don't either. No, it's, it's... <laughs> on, uh, not that I wouldn't if I if I could on New, <laughs> Newtown Lane in, in East Hampton where these uh, these folks came in and grabbed in a, in a like you said, in a concerted effort, ninety four thousand dollars worth of designer pocketbooks. Um, and if you're interested in, in a plug for 27 East, if you're interested in, in seeing the actual um, caper, uh, we've posted video that the district attorney showed um, during his his press conference. Um, but, you know, but and, and look, so so bail did end up be set, being set for these guys or, or most of them, um, you know, following, um, you know, following the indictment. Um, but I, I think that, no, they, I think most of them were released without bail. Right. I think uh, I think charged with what was the I think charge? three of the four. I, I think three <laughs> two, of the four were released without, you know, because two, they, two, they, two of the two of the four bail was set at, at no for three of the four two. Two were set at $75,000, um, and I, I'm trying looking, and I don't, I don't see the other one. Um, I think one of the defendants be, made the wrong. point, one of the defendants, well, I think was, what raised this was, he was shocked that he right. was going so, to be so held. That was, that was at the initial arraignment um, before the indictments were passed up. And, and yeah, so only one. So so at the initial arraignment in East Hampton Justice Court um, after the arrests, um, three of the four, one one remains at, at large, but three of the four were released. The one that wasn't released and, and we had it in, in our initial story 
um, was was held on bail because of, of uh, his his past record, um, which which allowed which allowed bail to be set and, and was incredulous with the judge that 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 I have to go home, I think was his quote. I have to go home. Um, you know, not believing that, um, you know, that he, he should have been been held. And I think that prompted the D.A. to say, you know, see, the, these 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 people committing these crimes um, feel like they can just free and easy commit these crimes, knowing that they're not going to end up in jail, that they're just going to be released if if they're caught, which well, which is propagating that rumor. <laughs> well, exactly. I mean, but but he did run when he ran last year um, for district attorney. He ran on um, trying to reverse bail reform. What were the what were these guys actually or whoever they were tra- actually charged with? You know what the actual charges were? I I do. Um, I think I know that there was a felony involved, and I think it's because of the the uh, size of the, the take. The, well, I mean, only because there's a, you know, a specific list of bail eligible offenses under, under with the new bail reform. And so it needs to be, you know, on that list of bail eligible, I, I believe. I mean, that's. And this this was a nonviolent crime. I mean, I, nobody was attacked or uh, as far as I know, I don't believe no, no weapons, was, no weapons were shown. That, yeah, it, it, it was, was a just felony. A, Right. It were felonies, not misdemeanors. Obviously, just, it would be grand larceny, I think. Was, I believe is what I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not remembering the specific charges. But okay. I, but the, the but this is the, the open question is, is there a legitimate point to be made there that that by not requiring bail on charges like that, it's encouraging people to commit those crimes? Is that a fair conclusion? I, I, Anybody? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't see how. Well, I mean, you know, if you're committing those crimes and you get arrested, the punishment that you're going to face for that particular charge is still there. I mean, yeah, you know, so it, I don't know. I mean, I mean, are people really? I mean, I mean, maybe some people are really dumb enough to think that you know, you know, they get set free and then they're just that's it, they're done, and and they don't understand that they're still facing those charges and are still going to face a, a punishment if convicted and everything that follows that. Um, but it, I mean, I'm, you know, maybe look at this a little different way too, you know, when just this week, you know, we covered a court case where, um, on Monday, a, a teacher who was a former teacher in the Shoreline River District was um, uh, sentenced. Uh, she had pleaded guilty to a, a third degree rape felony charge in December uh, for a sexual encounter with a student. And um, at the sentencing on Monday, uh, got 10 years probation. And, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, a felony rape charge. And at, at the end, when sentencing sentencing comes, uh, you know, she's not even going to jail. She's getting probation. And, and you kind of contrast that to people losing their minds that somebody who uh, gets arrested and accused of, you know, uh, you know, stealing something from a store isn't immediately in jail for months on end until, you know, we figure out whether that uh, um, person is actually guilty or not. Um, That really goes contrast. That goes more to the heart of people paying the price for a crime. Um, as you said, Denise, I think so much of this debate about bail reform misses the point that bail has nothing to do with punishment. That's not what it's about. 
I think I think there is sort of a, a tendency for people to feel that way. But yeah, you were going to say. So, yeah, I, I just looked at the uh, looked it up. The, so under the 2020 amendments to the 2019 law, and I'm sorry I misstated the year before. I lost a year in the pandemic. I don't know what year it is anymore. <laughs> but you guys, we're all we all um, with you. So it was originally passed in 2019, <clears throat> and it was amended in 2020. And nonviolent, a bunch of nonviolent felonies were added back as bail eligible offenses where that be- previously because they were nonviolent felonies they were exempted from bail requirement and among those uh is grand larceny uh a number there are a number of financial crimes like grand larceny in the first degree uh enterprise corruption money laundering etc so um those were added back as bail eligible offenses uh and, and I, I think in know. the case the case of the one defendant as bill said I think that the judge used some discretion in looking at his past history for showing up for prior prior cases and things like that was part of it. Let's not oh, let's not. Well, well, he, there, so so there were. I'm, I'm looking at, at the story we posted. So so bail was set Wednesday for um, you know for for two of of the defendants. Um, I think I misspoke too, but it's because they have um, other felony charges pending. I think in Nassau County. Um, that that make them then eligible for bail at, at this point. So there you go. Let's not miss the point too that that this type of robbery at high end stores and and this is this is a trend nationally. It's happening in in urban areas all over the country. It's probably not a surprise that it's happening here as well, mm-hmm. Joe. I I, I think uh, I may be wrong about this, but I think they've had some incidents sort of. On a lesser scale, like this, at uh, the the outlets, right? I mean, I think they've there. This is what happens: is groups of thieves are targeting uh, individual retailers and and just sort of rushing in. They call them smash and grab, although that can be a little misleading. Just like at the Balenciaga shop in East Hampton, there was no smashing involved. It was actually a well coordinated effort to just get themselves alone in the store for long enough to gather up a bunch of purses and run to the getaway car. But this is, this isn't, this is a a new kind of a new crime that is happening all over the country. And we are seeing more and more of it. And I think it feeds on itself this, the success or in this case failure, because I think we have to tip our hats to law enforcement here because it's pretty remarkable uh, that this, this group that four out of five of the people involved were nabbed um, along the LIE because the uh, police were alerted and were, were on the eye. Of course, it helps that they got a flat tire. Yeah, there might have been a bit of luck involved. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it helps. It helps <laughs> it. But it, it's also still, I mean, it was a good coordinated effort. By, but by but we, it, it came out at Wednesday that, you know, um, so so there had been high-speed chases, uh, a high-speed chase of, of, of the getaway car, um, first in East Hampton, but the car was going 100 miles an hour or over 100 miles an hour, weaving in and out of traffic. So the East Hampton police decided not to pursue the car because of public safety measure. Um, a, a New York State trooper then picked up the car um, further west, and the same thing happened. The car was going so fast and weaving in and out of traffic that that trooper um, um, stopped the pursuit. But it came out on Wednesday that he was able to, um, after that, surreptitiously follow the car 
um, without without them noticing that he was in pursuit until the flat tire thing occurred and they ran into the woods and then they were able to uh, to to find these guys. So yeah, absolutely maybe, good work on the police part. Maybe this is a one good thing about potholes. <laughs> there you go. They work in our favor sometimes. Yeah. Uh, it's behind the headlines on WLIWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. Our panelists are Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, uh, Joe Workmeister from the Times Review Media Group, and Brian Cosgrove from WLIWFM. I want to talk real quick about um, Ukraine, and we continued our local coverage. This week, um, again, I, I've always said that I think all news is local and we have many, many connections to Ukraine on the East End. And Bill, we wrote about uh, a gentleman from East Hampton who uh, followed the call to go back. I mean, really felt compelled to go back there. It, it's a, he lives in Ukraine part time, part of the year, uh, but he has gone back to help out with the effort there. Yeah, Christopher Callis, who's he's a 31-year-old East Hampton native, and he operates the Hello uh, Oma Bakery um, in, in the summer. But his wife, Gala, um, is native to Ukraine, so they spend uh, the winters in Ukraine and the summers. In, I think it's, I think it's Gaia, by the way. Is it Gaia? I'm sorry. I believe wrong. it's pronounced Gaia, yeah. Okay. Um, so, so they were in, in Ukraine when, when the invasion happened and they were lucky enough to get on one of the last planes out and they got out. Um, but then decided after seeing what was happening and what was going on that, uh, he decided anyway, um, Christopher, that, that he needed to go back. And so he did, and, and he kind of, uh, went back in the country and, and now he's, he's working, uh, trying to collect supplies and deliver supplies, um, medical, medical supplies for injured civilians, food for medical volunteers, socks for soldiers and gas for vehicles. And, he, and he's helping, um, he's also helping people to, to get out of, of the country. Um, really, you know, really incredible story that he just, he just saw, saw the need to go back to, to step up. And I think that's what you're seeing from from Ukrainians, all the stories that that we hear out of Ukraine is these people that are just standing up and saying, you know, we're not we're not going to allow this to happen, and and we're gonna and we're gonna stand up. He, he said he he described it at one point as as just like being in a movie, and and you can imagine that that feeling of just being there and watching this uh, this horrendous invasion going on around you and trying to you know they're. They're, you know, they're, they're, they're moving, you know, night to night to, from empty apartments that he and he and this crew of people that are, that are helping out and they turn their cell phones off at night so that they can't be tracked by the Russian spies and um, just really, really incredible story, incredible stuff um, that, that he's doing. Um, and, and he's looking, a guy, he's a business, he's a businessman. He went over and said he can help with logistics. That's basically how he's pitching in rather than picking up a rifle. Um, yeah. Americans are also rallying to help. Brian, there's a concert coming up, right? Yeah, there's a, uh, a concert coming up on, uh, I guess it would be, what, a week from this Sunday on the 27th. Uh, I think I believe it starts at six o'clock at the Suffolk Theater on Main Street in Riverhead called uh, All for Ukraine. Tickets are just $50. It may even be sold out by now, but please, by all means, go to SuffolkTheater.com. All for Ukraine, 100% of the money they raise is going to uh, three different charities. And I believe they're all 
connected, obviously, with Ukraine. And uh, all the money, 100% of it, is going to Ukraine. We only have about just if I can, if I can jump in real quick, just uh, for Chris Callis, the the website that they have set up where where they can or list supplies they need um, or monetary donations is volunteerua.com. If people want to check that out, absolutely, Denise. We only have about a minute left. Can there, the, some of the local breweries up your way are also uh, doing some things, right? Yes. Um, so Trade Winds Brewery, uh, as of uh, the 18th is uh, serving a special Ukrainian beer brew that they got the recipe of coordinating with a Ukrainian brewery and um, that, that is now on sale. Um, uh, it's, a, I think, a dark brew. I'm going to go and check it out. Um, and uh, Twin Fork Beer Company um, on March 25th is hosting a fundraiser for um, Ukrainian or- orphanage, which is a very uh, worthwhile uh, cause us Friday, March 25th from 7 to 9 at Twin Forks uh, Tasting Room, which is over on Rainer Avenue in Riverhead, just south of Route 58. And uh, Trade Winds is on West Main Street near Griffin Avenue. It's been really remarkable to watch the community here rally and, and both uh, send spiritual support and logistical support and tangible support uh, to the folks in Ukraine as they battle this. So, uh, You know, we'll keep an eye on it as we move forward. We're out of time this week. Uh, That was behind the the headlines. I want to thank our panelists, uh, Denise Civiletti, Brian Cosgrove, and Joe Workmeister. Thank you, guys. We appreciate you taking the time out to have a conversation this morning. And uh, thank you, as always, to my co-host, Bill Sutton. Bill, I'll see you back here next week. Absolutely. Another great show in the can. All right. Thank you for listening. This was Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM. FM.